0: I just finished a retreat yesterday, a five-day retreat, uh, leading a retreat at Spirit Rock. And I had the great good fortune of leading the retreat with uh, one my dear friend, uh, Leela Kate Wheeler, who, is, uh, who grew up in South America and carries with her some of uh, the experience of having grown up in South America, but she's of, of English ancestry. I, I, uh, the other two teachers on the retreat were uh, are presently in the Spirit Rock Teacher Training Program and really already well um, developed teachers in their own right. One is a fellow named Solwazi, who is from Denver and he's of African American descent, and uh, and. Just a just a beautiful being, and just came from spending a month in South Africa and sitting in the middle of the, all the pain of that culture, and having grown up as a as an African American man in this culture, he he so beautifully spoke about the, the pain of uh, growing up here. And. Uh, and so I was really moved. And then the other teacher was a woman named Kate Johnson from Chicago who now lives in Philadelphia who is of, of uh, mixed ancestry. One of her parents is, is, uh, is black and the other one is uh, white. And the reason I'm mentioning their, their heritage is that it was it's so obvious from each of them and each all of us and myself included you included that we are we are the inheritors we are so uniquely individual you know there's each each one of us and i in fact i kind of used them during one of my dharma talks and i i looked over at my co-teachers and i said now isn't it true that that Solwazi has sowaziness, and Kate has kate and you know Leela Kate has Leela kate and, and, and I have Howiness. you know I, I know I talk about that a little bit here and I this is all in early in earlier on in my experience of being a parent it was inspired by seeing my little three-year-old daughter and it dawned on me that she he was just so quintessentially Molly he had molly and so ever since that time everyone I see I see their their uniqueness you know how they couldn't be like anybody else and I was so taken with the, with the uh, with my co-teachers and their their unique expression and knowing that that unique expression that unique individuality was made up of everything well one you could say it was made up of everything that ever happened in all time you know from the Big Bang but but in a more recent sense it, it was made each uh, each of us was formed by the by the uh, impingement of the non-personal parts of us the the culture the teachers the country the the uh, you know race everything and that that if we look more deeply, if we just widen the lens on each of us, we would see that, and widen the lens wide enough, we wouldn't find a beginning. And if we look deeply into the middle of ourselves, we would not find a core. That every part of us is made up of of non-personal elements. In some ways, it's selfless. And this is at the heart of the of the Buddha's teaching on, on emptiness or selflessness, where there, there's a teaching in the Mahayana tradition. Uh, in fact, the person who is considered the the founder of Mahayana Buddhism, uh, Nagarjuna. Uh, had this wonderful quote that I actually shared on the retreat, and I'm reprising a little bit about what I said because I I enjoyed it because I like to think about these things, and I thought maybe you would enjoy it too. But he had this beautiful passage, very simple and succinct. He said, "You are not the same, or are you different from that which you depend? In other words, you're and that which that, that which without without." that you would not be who you are. So that we're contingent. Our presence, the way we are, is contingent on everything that influences us. He influences us. says, you are not the same, nor are you different from that which you depend. You are neither severed from nor forever fused with them. This is the deathless teaching of Buddhas who care for the world. So the implication of this is that is that yes we are individually unique we're not the same as but we're not different from everything that we are connected to and is there anything that we are not connected to this is the deathless teaching for those who care for the world why is that line for those who care for the world because the more you understand that you do not exist independently apart from everything that has brought you to be then you realize that there is no independent self existence, therefore, you realize that there is no other. And this is this energetically, experientially, just adopting it as a view may not do anything for you, but ener- experientially, that which we discover when we look deeply within the nature of our minds. Experientially, it unleashes, it releases in us a care for the world. Uh, that we don't, uh, we, we can't just live in our own little bubble. It seems it, it's, it's just in our heart's desire to connect. And so the illusion that gets brewed by just staying in the extreme sense of our individuality, thinking that we are apart from the whole getting so preoccupied with our internal world that we think we are as I've talked about a lot here we think we're the one wave that's gotten separated from the ocean to that extent we if we get caught in that kind of whirlwind of our own imagination and lose touch with that that interbeing then there is a then the The individual, the individual from the vantage point of a kind of delusion of consciousness, a delusion, begins to think that we have to try really hard to get back to peace, get back home, get back to the, to get back, to get that wave to reconnect with the ocean. And we forget that that wave that you, just as you are, have never been separated from the ocean, that you are at, right in your root, completely immersed in the very connection that you're seeking for. But all the advertising will say, go, get back to yourself, go to a retreat, go to, go to a class, go, go, go. And it's all so, it's such an innocent thing that we're taught to go. We're taught to do. We're taught to do meditation, and it's very easy to to then apply our our busyness in meditation and our doing it right in meditation, where we're doing it to become okay again, instead of instead of rather than going toward being okay, we settle back into whatever felt experience is our version of life as it is before we, before we think. Just being ourselves. Not so much, not completely the self-conscious self, the imagined self, the narrative self, the story of ourselves, but the experiential self that can't so easily be put in words. The one that you experience right now after your last thought has stopped and before the next one comes. And whatever that self is is really minus the word self. It's just a direct experience. Not easy to put in words. And From this vantage point of my howiness or my f- friend Solwazi, Solwaziness, or your Catherineness, from that vantage point of just ourselves as we are, uh, just the indescribable presentness. From that vantage point, then it can be incredible. Maybe I'm grand with this but I think it's incredible then to bear witness through awareness to the narrative that plays through our mind the version of ourselves that plays through our mind when I say incredible it doesn't mean pleasant sometimes very pleasant but just to be in to be able to make the shift from being operating from that story in our mind to relating to it because that story is not, it's just a, it's a second-hand version of the experiential me that has been moved by everything in life. It's an approximation, it's a description, it's a view. The Buddha called it Sakaya Ditti, self-view, and a view of self is not self. It is marked by not-self. It appears and it vanishes. It has no substance to it. Therefore, it is, con- it is completely insecure and unreliable. Yet, everyone has one. If you're born, definition of birth, leading cause of a self-view, or not just a self-view, but many self-views. A self-view that shows up with every situation. Just like I, I joke a lot here about being you know here i'm the guru that's a self view sage on the stage but then i go home and i'm a nobody i'm a i'm a dad at best and mostly i'm ignored <laughs> so that so if i adopt a view take that to be absolute permanent what how do i feel when i go home what happened to the sage it's completely any view of yourself is a source of insecurity and unfortunately the view of myself that plays in my mind also is very closely tethered to my body and since my body is a changing condition and in an unreliable state my identity, my story relating to my body is also a story of insecurity. And of course, my moods, I'm feeling this way. My moods are changing all the time. Any kind of identity with a certain kind of mood, you're, you're in trouble. And then maybe even more connected to our, to our cultural trance is my identity tends to be, my, the story, the self-view tends to be uh, connected to, uh, to time. And the story of me in time, coming from the past, passing through the present, on my way to the future, that's, in that story, time is always running out. It's always ahead. It's always trying to get somewhere. And, of course, that colors the my present experience of howiness or just what I'm experiencing it colors as not very interesting it's what's more interesting is where I'm going how's that for a way of not experiencing your life so it's fantastic to be able to be aware settled as you're just in the groove of your whatever version of whatever direct experience of yourself, your markness or your noeminess, just right there, it's, it's unique. It's not like anybody else. It's formed in time, just like, just like the tree, each unique tree in a forest, it can't be any other way than it is. But if you really groove in that and you wake up to it and one of its elements is wakefulness, then it's fantastic to see that version of yourself that plays in your mind. And then you can see it with a sense of freedom. Where you're not operating from that sense of needing to get somewhere. You're noticing, oh, there's my mind futurizing. There's my mind dwelling in the imagined past. There's my mind coloring the present moment as insufficient. Then coloring myself as insufficient. Feeling lack, feeling irritated, feeling self-conscious. All of those things then then beca- can become known. But they can become known as, as changing conditions through actually paying attention to them. I realize the Dharma. I'm, I, be, that very thing that may have tormented me when I wasn't noticing it becomes the cause of my liberation. Like, whoa, I didn't realize how much I thought about the future. And there it is. It keeps future, future, future. I keep recreating myself in time. And that's a miracle that my mind can do that. But when I don't know I'm doing that and I'm just caught in it, my body freezes. And it starts making me feel like there's something missing. Like I'm that wave that's gotten cut off from the ocean. So another thing that's so beautiful about being able to see our story is I see that my story and the way that I frame things it comes it has beginningless causes the the story that plays through my mind our mind is inevitable based on our conditioning I ha- I was talking to on the retreat about how I can't help but as what formed me this unique individuality that doesn't exist apart from everything that went before is, is my um, my grandmother, for example, I, and people here on Tuesday know. May, maybe the people didn't know from the from the retreat, but my grandmother was from a little village in Belarus, which was now, you know, it was called, it was called White Russia. It was near Minsk, and it was a little village called Shadrin. And Shadrin was, was mostly occupied by by Jewish families, and. The pogroms came where the, the, during the Bolshevik Revolution and they wiped out the village completely. My grandmother escaped before, obviously, but there is no sign that it ever existed. And, and that community there was part of the, the Jewish diaspora that went through the world. A legacy, a history of thousands of years of rejection and, and, um, and hatred. And I carry that a little bit, and you know, when you, when you start hearing the, the, white, uh, the white supremacists saying the Jews won't do this, there's a lot of Jewish people in this country that are frightened, that are scared shitless right now about the rise of anti-Semitism. It's, it's insidious even if you don't see it, but that lives in me as, it, as the legacy of what lives in everybody, what formed everybody. And part of the Dharma is we just keep, in terms of our, our collective story, I love that, I, the re, part of what inspired me as I was reading some, some passages from Martin Luther King, we don't have a lot of time left, but since it was his birthday and I, I, I went, I'm sure uh, many of you went, were on uh, Dr. King marathon yesterday. He's our national saint. He's he's all of our gurus. He said we may all we we may all come on different ships, but we're in the same we're in the same boat now. And part of our dharma practice to to come out of the tangle of our personality view is to keep widening our circle of sensitivity. So things like the Holocaust. Things like slavery cannot happen in this world they can't with a heart with a heart mind that is 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 free of its shrouded view and at least because we're together as as yogis when you work from the standpoint of practice it's both of course your outer mindfulness but the inner mindfulness the inner practice you practice until you see through your own self illusion so that you so that you know in every cell of your body that you don't exist apart from anybody who's ever been oppressed ever been incarcerated and i know i am just scratching the surface of my own shroud and i'm i'm trying to clear it every day but this is why we practice we don't practice just to have a happy experience it is the Buddha was called Sukhiya the happy one but it's the happiness of of all of us awakening together not just uh, not just one person here or there not just um, princes in India (laughs) Um, so there's a lot there's we enter the Dharma door wherever. Dr. King's practice of freedom was the, this great heart of seeing the of being having pain be the the pain of of the the African American community that that became the his springboard to liberation, and then with that clarity, just it's just spellbinding clarity and with that through line of love that never wavered unbelievable and and whatever our conditions we use our conditions and we have the great good fortune of having conditions where we can practice and so uh, since since the Buddha as an example sat we sit and we walk and we are mindful when we lie down and we're mindful when we when we um, we sit stand lie down and move to and fro so may we all see through the self-illusion may we all see through the illusion of other may our practice every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all uh, I'll just read it one more time we may all come on different ships but we're in the same boat now So may we all awaken together. Thank you for your practice tonight, and thanks for your generosity. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.